It's so great to have William Hinn with us. We've been doing these dialogues, and when he was recently in town with us, I was just like, could you please carve a little bit of time out with us, uh, especially for what we're going to talk about today with ministering to the Lord, seeing what him and his family have cultivated in multiple regions, just bringing people together to focus supremely on him and doing it together, family, it's just been so precious to watch. And when you recently came to our body, it was just like a bomb went off. It was so beautiful. We ministered to him and we grew together. And I'm really thankful to even have some more conversation with you and develop a relationship, man. Really honored to have you today. Yeah, I'm honored to be here. I love you guys. I love your community. I love what you're doing. It's excited to be part of it. When we talk about ministering to the Lord, it can, can it can sometimes seem just a little foreign or almost abstract because church today is so very much catered around just programs and sometimes very good intentions are involved with a lot of the things that are happening. But how would you define ministering to the Lord to someone that's a little foreign to that or just has no grid yeah. for that? Yeah, I think in... Um, in many ways in, in the West, we all understand that word ministry, at least if you are a believer, but we always, uh, equate it to and relate it to ministry to people. And so I think it actually makes the definition easier of take what we do for people and first do it for the Lord. And so, uh, the word ministry, it, it means in Greek, I mean, it literally means attendance. And so it's, um, and, and as you go deeper into the root of that word ministry, it's like a waiter, it says, that tends to a table of a master guest. And so uh, ministering to God is is really not so much something specific. I mean, it can be done through the vehicle of singing and worship, um, but it can be also done through the vehicle of prayer. It can be done through um, ministering to God in the way that we uh lead our families and priests within our home, but it's really a posture, you know, like even the word worship in, in the scriptures is not necessarily, there's no, there's no clear definition for worship. The definition of worship basically describes a posture that leads to an offering that is acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. And so uh, the easiest way for me, I think to describe ministry to God is it's, is it's tending to him so in other words, when you come and you before God and you sit, you, you give him the, the necessary attention to go, Lord, how can I move you today? And it's, it's impacted my life tremendously, just this mind shift of, Lord, not only what you can do for me, but coming to you with the recognition of what you've already done for me. And how can I give you something today? Like that woman who came busting in the room with oil and poured it on his feet. And I think we forget that. God has desires. He's a person. Um, I think the most fascinating to thing to me about the like human and divine relationship is, is that I can actually affect God's feelings. You know, if it says the Holy Spirit, it, it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The implication is, is that we can make him happy and we can make him sad. Mm-hmm. And as we start to discover more of this person of the Holy Spirit, um, it changes the way I come into my room this morning to, to be with him is I'm not bringing my prayer list to him. Um, although that that's good, 
but I think that there's a deeper walk with God where we can say, Lord, how can I tend to your heart today? If you're sitting at a table, how can I prepare a table for you in my worship, in my prayer, in my, in my love? Maybe it's just sitting in silence before God, but just your very attentiveness within your heart toward him is moving him. And so, um, it's just getting back to putting God first and our needs and the people's needs second. With a follow-up to that, I know that you have have a rich history with, with your family and just all the different angles of seeing ministry unto the Lord, seeing ministry in general. When did your heart begin to burn for this expression of ministering to the Lord? And yeah. I guess a follow-up to that even would be, what caused that shift? So, um, yeah, I, I have a very specific answer to that because I had a very intentional encounter December of 2017. Um, I was at this point in full-time ministry. I, I grew up in it, like you said, uh, for my whole life, and I've never really known anything else. Um, but it was at this point I had been working full-time ministry for quite some time. I started you know, and when I, and I know, like we all say, we're all in full-time ministry, but I'm talking about like, that was my actual job, uh, since 2012. And so by 2017, you know, I had worked for my uncle, I had worked for a guy named Todd white. And, and at this time I was a year into helping Todd. And so, um, I was one of like three employees and, and we were busy. We were meeting all the time. I was traveling everywhere with Todd um, like above 250,000 miles a year. So I was just busy wow. doing the works of the Lord. Um, and I remember driving home from a meeting one day and at, and I was seeing people healed. I was seeing people saved. I was, I mean, you can't like work with Todd and not literally see this stuff everywhere that you go, you know? So a lot of it, I'm just in, I'm in attendance for, but through my own life and we had started risen nation in 2014 and so you know we're we're now three years into it and almost coming into our fourth year and we were just kind of this ministry and we're seeing god move like we're seeing stuff happen and you can almost become uh like you can learn how to do it outside of needing god you know mm -hmm. um and so i was kind of at this point where I was good at doing ministry, but deep down I knew I was empty. And so I was driving home one day. I remember the road I was on and I was feeling so lost, yet I had never been more effective for God in that season. Just, just accomplishing or so I thought a lot. And I was sitting in my car and I remember feeling this just like aching emptiness of I do not know God. And I know a lot about him. I know how to talk about him. I know how to preach about him. I know how to pray for healing. I even know how to preach the gospel in, in a way that you can just articulate it right. You can get people to pray a prayer. But as far as me, I don't know you, you know? And so I was driving and I said these words to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't even know if I know how to talk to you. I don't know how to pray. I said it out loud in my car. I heard a voice come from my back seat and say, William, now you're asking me the right questions. It stunned me so much that the presence that I felt, it was like someone opened the front door in my, on my, on the, uh, not on the driver's side, but on the other side and got into the front seat. 
it was so real and tangible to me. I drove the whole way home with tears in my eyes and I didn't want to look to the right. Like I was, I don't know if you've ever had an encounter like that, but it was, it was like, I swear if I open my eyes right now, there will be a Jewish man sitting in my front seat. Like it was so, it was so real. There was nothing practical about it. It was, it was as mystical <laughs> as it becomes. Um, so I got home, I ran to my, my office where I spend time with God, but, but it was a cold office that didn't, that didn't have much history in it because I was busy working for God and forgetting about him, you know? And so I ran into my office and, and the minute I got in there, I heard the Lord speak to me, you've never built a home with me. Mm-hmm. And it, and I remember it breaking my heart. I remember it was like the worst day and the best day of my life all at the same time, because I, it's like for the first time in a very long time, I got in touch with my need for God again. And, um, and so I, I opened up my Bible and I remember my Bible landing, no joke on Psalms 91. And it says, those who dwell in the secret place of the most high will abide under the shadow of the almighty. And I started looking up these words and I found that dwell in Hebrew means marry. And so the, the scripture is literally telling us those that marry God in secret, he will dwell over you all the days of your life. And so I realized like I was becoming so it's like I had married production and I left the affection that it all started with. And so I became obsessed with the presence of God. Um, and I left everything else behind, including ministry. And it was the most beautiful season I, I ever walked into. And when I say I left everything else behind, I don't mean I stopped praying for people. I didn't I didn't, ex- I didn't stop doing the work, the good works that the Lord's called us to do. Um, but whereas I was doing them without rest, I found rest before doing them. And, um, and when I was, you, you know, kind of finding my identity and what I was doing, how many people I was getting saved, were the words of knowledge accurate? Were people actually getting healed? Uh, you know, how many people were showing up to resonation or, or how was I doing at this and how was I doing at that? I began to find identity and attendance just being present with god and uh and so i started having these radical encounters um where it's like nothing else mattered anymore like all of a sudden i remember getting even like as a minister as a as a as a preacher as somebody who was leading i remember things would come out of my mouth and i'd be like man that was a that was kind of offensive what i just said but for the first time in my life it was like, I didn't have that fear of man of, oh my gosh, what are they thinking? Is this going to affect the growth of my church? It was like, the Lord was jealous to become first. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, so I would start having these encounters, uh, every, um, I mean, almost every morning was happening. And, um, I mean, I, I, I remember one morning I heard this and like in my room and I was, I was so afraid. I woke up and at the time I was living in Texas. So I'm not thinking the Holy spirit is saying, come away with me. I'm thinking someone's breaking my house. I'm looking for my 12 gauge, you know? Um, so I jump up out of bed and I like hit Emily. I'm like, did you hear that? And she goes, I, I didn't hear, I didn't hear anything. And, and I heard the Lord whisper to me, I, I just want you. And I, and I, and I started like, I had never really fasted before in my life. And, and if I did fast, it was always because I needed an answer for something. It wasn't because I was longing for deeper measures of him. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like all these things started hitting me, like 
I was struggling. I felt so lovesick for the first time in my life. Like I couldn't think about anything else. I would go to sleep at night and my, my, I would feel like a little kid, like just thinking about spending time with him made me feel like a little kid on Christmas Eve. Like that's how real he became to me. So like, even when I, today I have to remind myself, do the works I did at first, mm -hmm. 2017, December, because I found this first love where he truly became first. And, and, uh, and it was, then I started discovering I've been in ministry my whole life, but I've never been in ministry. And, you know, Corey Russell calls it the forgotten ministry of the church is called God. You know, it's like we, we forgot that the whole point of this life, the reason I was created was to be in union with God. You know, um, there's this, this, this Greek word early, the early uh, Greek fathers would use to describe the Trinity, you know, the Godhead. They would use this Greek word called perichoresis, and it came, it was derived from the words like circle dance, which was something they would do at Greek weddings, which was a dance that they would lock arms and they'd be in perfect unison, wow. step and step. And that's how the early Greek fathers would describe the Godhead in perfect unity in one, but yet fully their own persons, you know? And, uh, and so it, I like to say I jumped into the circle dance in 2017 and, and, uh, I don't want to leave that dance ever again, you know? And so there's something about like, you get lost in the Lord and I want the branding of my life to be, you know, that song of Solomon three, four, I, I found the one in whom my soul loved. I held him and I won't let him go. And it, and it has a way of, of taking off anxiety and stress. And if people ask, well, what, what did you do? I literally just attended. I, I got before the Lord and I made it the priority of my life and realized I was created for the circle dance. Wow. I wasn't created to accomplish something. And that's where I was stuck my whole life was I was stuck in. I believed my acceptance was on what I did for God. And I became his employee and forgot that he was looking for a bride, mm. you know? Um, and it was, it was the most fascinating, most amazing discovery of my life that I'm still discovering every day. But, you know, my, my prayer is, is that I never be the one in Matthew seven that he can look at and after I've told him, Lord, look at all these things I've done in your name. I healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out devils. I think today we would say I filled stadiums. I, I did the missions work. I did all of this stuff. I prayed for 12 people every single day. God forbid he looked back and say, but I don't know you. Mm. And so it shows you the value system of heaven that what heaven is looking for is, is uh, do we have gnosko? Do we have this intimate knowing with God, like what Paul would say, I leave everything behind that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, Jesus himself, eternal life in John 17, three is not dying and going to heaven. Although we will go to heaven and put off this flesh, but what Jesus describes eternal life as is knowing God. And so what's amazing is I don't need to wait to die to experience eternal communion. I can have that now in my bedroom. Like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> you know, like what is possible that we have been missing out on in life thinking, well, one day when I go to be with God, I'll, I'll figure it all out. No, like God is with, God's here. God came in the Holy Ghost and he's literally a person that is actually with me and wants to be in me and dine with me. And this is the desire of Jesus. I mean, same chapter 17, he gets to verse 24. He says, Father, I desire. And nowhere else in all of the New Testament do we hear the words I desire. Wow. Coming out of his mouth. 
He says, Father, I desire that they be with me where I am and behold my glory. And I'll tell you, my life changed when I made it the point of my life to fulfill his desire. In other words, Jesus is like, I got a need. And I know we all say he doesn't have any needs and, and I don't actually believe he needs anything, but I do think he has burning, passionate wants that fulfills something in his heart. And, and Jesus basically stands up and says, if I can have one thing, Lord, this is father. This is what I want. I want them to be close to me and I want them to look at me. Mm. And it's like, wow, it's that easy. I just have to go into my room, get close to him and look at him and my whole life will change. Yes. And so December 2017 changed everything. That's so beautiful. William, as you're sharing that, my heart's just burning just because of the reality of that experience and you being able to just share that. I, my, my heart, and I know you were bringing it up, I can only go to, I go to Revelation 2 as you're, as you're sharing that just with the first love. But the, the one thing that really hit me recently that I just wanted to, to just kind of add to the dialogue was that we as a body, we're going through the book of Acts in our in our home gatherings and we were at acts 19 when paul's at ephesus and the you could almost say a revival breaks out because it's like when god invades a city and the thing that's so powerful is that paul laid a foundation for like two and a half years just every day preaching the word teaching the word to all the gentiles that would hear he spent some time with the jews early on in the synagogues there but he would just preach to the Gentiles every day that you don't hear of any miracles or anything, but just Paul laying a foundational heart of the scriptures, of the word. And then you get to this, the seven sons of Sceva and that crazy exorcism goes wrong for them, but goes right for the city to be changed. And the first thing that city did is they confessed their sins and deeds when the glory of God hit in a, in a sense. And then they started burning all of their, their lesser lovers and all the magic and all the things that was probably passed on from generation to generation. And you see this massive revival, this massive city getting completely transformed and all these people coming forward. But then you, you read in revelation two, when the angel, when Jesus sends a letter to the church of Ephesus and they had seen this amazing revival they had seen all these things and he says i have this against you you do all these things right you do all these things but you've yeah. you've left your first love and it says go back to where you have fallen and do the first works well i know this is a little bit of an argument but it's almost like the first works that we see in acts 19 where they confessed their their deeds and they immediately burnt every lesser lover they burnt everything else and they they were able yeah. to just behold and there was major resistance from the rest of the city. But I just think that when I hear your story, I can relate to it so much because I feel like it's one of the greatest temptations of a of a born-again believer that actually has a zeal, that has a fire. You're doing things for the Lord. You get caught up in the just the grinder of ministry, just the whole whole thing. And you're you're actually seeing things, but you so quickly find validation and and rest through what you're achieving instead of just being with him. And I think a Puritan articulated something along the lines that it's actually when our emptiness is exposed, it's revealing our capacity for God. Like it's revealing the fullness that God wants to crown us with. I'll be writing that one down. 
Well, no, well, so it's just powerful. yeah. The Puritans are always a blessing. I, I, oh my God, and I just know that uh, it's like, and you said we have nothing to offer God, yet He longs and desires for every part of our nothingness. It's like He He wants it. That's it. He wants man. it all. So, no, my heart's burning when you're sharing that. So good. A quick, a quick thought, and I want to let you get all to, to all your questions, but I think it's it's a, an important. What you're saying is so important. My I, I often say, because I, I believe that there's people watching that maybe feel like you become numb in your intimacy with God. And it's so, and people think there's like this crazy formula and it's going to take six years to turn my heart back. It is so simple. Like it is in a, it is a moment of attention that can literally change. I mean, I've had these one minute encounters that I'm like, I feel like good for the rest of my day. Like everything changed, you know, <laughs> but my you know, my wife and I, when we got married and fell in love, it was all we thought about. And it's so true. Like your yes says no to a hundred things, oh, you know, yeah. and it's, and it's, you are thinking about her. You are like, you're kind of foolish with money and time. And like love has a way of just making you foolish. And, um, but it's interesting because you start having kids, you know, like my wife and I have four kids and what we constantly have to remind ourselves is may we not allow what intimacy produced because when you're intimate with god and this has been the test after 2017 was i noticed what when i started having these encounters in my room things started happening like mm. in you know because it says in the bible there's a principle in matthew 5 of or i'm sorry matthew 6 go to your father who's in secret and he'll reward you openly mm. so i started noticing man every time i'm in here something happens like risen nation exploded after this. It was almost like God was like, I could trust you now. So everything starts exploding after this. And the temptation was worse than it was before. Cause now I thought, wow, every time I'm with God, this happens. And so easily we can prostitute it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like I've got to spend this amount of time with God because the anointing comes and all of a sudden what you're telling the Lord is I'm with you for the wrong reasons. And there's something to, intimacy produces blessing it's how it works it intimacy between a husband and wife produces kids but we can become fixated on now we've got to take care of our kids and get through life and everything's busy now with four kids that my wife and i have to remember don't forget the intimacy that brought these kids mm. which is first you know and so there's there's something to always keeping that before you. And I love that word about emptiness because I, I just listened to this Jordan Peterson podcast. I'm a, I'm a big Jordan Peterson fan. You know, I don't know if that's offensive to people, but um, <laughs> he, he made this statement about first generation immigrants. He said, when, when you study it, first generation immigrants that move from another country to the United States are usually 90% of the time more successful than their children, than the next generation. And the reason is, is because they keep need and necessity in front of them. Wow. They come here with this mentality that's like, I am, it's life or death. It's, it's fail or succeed. And there is this drive by need that causes them. If you notice, like my, I've always wondered this about like my dad and his family, they moved from Israel to Canada, Canada to Florida, and they're all owners of businesses. They're all, every single one of them is, doesn't work for anybody and they just all do well but they weren't set up for that success. Like they worked for it. And there's this mentality in immigrants that thinks like this. And, and it got me thinking there's such a beauty in staying in touch with our need for God, keeping it before us that without him, I can do nothing that I am an empty 
I might, it might look shiny. It might look good. It might be the lamp that has no oil in it, mm. but the need that, you know, you keep that need before you, that's the, it's like the fuel of the oil that keeps us going is the lowly heart that says, Lord, I, my emptiness is my secret. And we can get caught up in, in like <laughs> us being strong and how valuable we are. And we are, but just remember that we're nothing without him. You know? yeah. So I love that, that concept of, I think the greatest test is in the success that's produced from intimacy with God. Cause it really does like the anointing comes when, when your heart begins to tend to the Lord and, and then you got to decide, am I, am I going to take this and make it for sale? You know, mm. how would you encourage fellowships, local churches to grow in this expression? And what is the sacrifice that's required in order for mm. the community to go after this? Yeah. Um, I don't know if people are going to like this answer, but that's why I won't I think, give it. <laughs> <laughs> the sacrifice, honestly, is 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 people and it's money, and uh, and and I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. But it starts with leaders. It starts with leadership that makes a commitment to protect the holy things above above, above everything else. Um, you know, Ezekiel forty four has been foundational for us as leaders. And I don't claim to, to have it figured out in a sense. I, I feel like our team is, I feel like we're always just kind of stumbling our way toward him, you know, and uh, I'd rather be stumbling and going toward him than, than walking strong, facing people and, uh, or the wrong direction, you know, That's so good. So, um, but I think it starts with leaders that, that make this covenant that if there's 10 people here, we will build what's attractive to him. If there's 10,000 people here, we will build what's attractive to him. Um, and so, like I said, Ezekiel 44, it, it describes two options within ministry. One on the outer court, that's four people, and one at the table in the secret place that God invites them into to tend it to his table. Hmm. And, uh, and what's wild is, if you, when you read it closely, the outer court option sounds very late that's the one with all the instagram followers and i'm not saying if people have a lot of instagram followers or stuff a lot of people didn't didn't look for that influencing and success the the lord gave it to them or it you know i sometimes feel bad for we're all mad at the celebrity christians but they didn't try to become that we made them that you know what i'm saying mm. um but all that to be said ezekiel 44 is a great place to study if you're a leader listening because it what it describes is is that when the children of Israel went astray in the Old Testament, within the Levitical community, which were the priests, they were the leaders, there was always two, two types of leaders. There was the ones that followed the people, and there was the ones that stayed close to God. And so the ones that followed the people, it said, when you followed them in their iniquity, um, because you followed them in their iniquity, I'm going to make you a minister to them. But you'll never be allowed in the most holy place, but you're going to stand on the outer court and you'll minister to people. And so another, and it goes on to basically say your inheritance will be them. Mm. So you might have 10,000 people, but it was, and again, I'm not saying a big church is, is bad. I mean, my heart is, is what would it look like if there was a 10,000 member church and every person had oil for the feet of the lamb, not <sighs> pastor, what can you give me today? It would be, it would be revolutionary, you know? So we need this to fill stadiums. I'm, I'm all about that. So the big thing is not bad. It's the love of it. 
that is bad. Money is not evil. It's the love of money, you know. So all that to be said, Ezekiel 44 describes this certain heart posture of priests where they couldn't get away from people. They became, when the people had political beliefs, they became, or political views, they became politically correct is, is basically what it's saying is it's like you followed their culture, you followed what they wanted. And because you have followed them, I'm going to give you them as an inheritance, but you'll never come close to me. And, and so you have what pastors deal with is, is the suicide rate, for example, of pastors is outrageous. And, and, and we were having this conversation just last week. Like you come to a, a pastor and, and people don't realize, I, I believe it's the hardest job in the world. And I'm not just saying that because you're literally dealing with the souls of people, you know, in, in the business world, you don't, if they're emotional, not emotional, there's, you don't, it's just, it's black and white. It's, it's not personal. You know, everything's personal in, in church, it seems like, because it has to do with their mind, will, and emotions, you know? And so, you know, sometimes I'm like, people are like, what would you like? Well, one thing you could have your pastor, I'm like, just our people to get along and love each other, you know? <laughs> and so you carry all these burdens. And if we're not careful, we'll start carrying a false burden. When Jesus said, my burden is, is, is light. My yoke is easy. And, and so pastors, I believe are suicidal because we've, we've married the likes of the people. We've married the opinions of the people we live and die by what do they want? And this is a dangerous ministry to follow because in other words, what you're saying is, is I am, I'm following in my following the people I might grow to 10,000 people, but is that inheritance discipline from the Lord. And, and I know that this is strong, but That's this so was great. the Ezekiel 44 narrative. And then it says in verse 15, but the sons of Zadok, the Levitical priest who tended to me in my sanctuary while the rest of the nation went astray. So when the Levites went astray, they followed the culture. They followed the, the, they didn't want to talk about abortion because uh, I, I, I want to make sure that the Democrats in my church are happy. I mean, this is like, nobody ta is talking about this stuff. And this is like literally where it's gone is we have political rallies in church today. And it has, it has nothing to do with politics. It, it has to do with evil and, and righteousness. And we're not dealing with this stuff, but there's, there's a command in Ezekiel 44 is you have to protect the holy things. That is the duty of a priest that you are, your job is to distinguish in Ezekiel 44, it says between good and evil. And so, but that was only given to those that tended to God when the children of Israel went astray. And so it says, because you tended to me, verse 15, when the rest of the, the priests went astray, they followed the culture. He says, I'm going to invite you to my table and you're going to, you're, you're going to minister to my heart. So what does that ministry look like? That ministry looks like you may not have anybody or a lot of people at that table with you, but you're going to have the best audience that the world's ever seen. Hmm. You, you may not have the most money. You may not be the most wealthy. You may not have any influence, but you're going to have influence on the only one that actually matters. And I think there's this, when we started Resonation, we sat down and we made this covenant with our leaders that may we always be those that are sitting at his table tending, tending to his heart. And, and if our church grows, may it be this table that grows. May we be like waiters setting a table for God and we invite the world to come sit at it. You know, but there's this, there's this idea today that we determine success based on money and butts and seats. And we've got to be careful because the ministry of the lamb is if nobody comes, God, did you like this today?
And so I think practically it's, it's, it's teaching people one that revelation one six says we are a kingdom of priests. We are all Kings and priests. So what was reserved for just a few allowed to sit at his table, God says in through acts two, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I'm going to give everybody this anointing. I'm going to turn everybody into a priest from this, the single mom to the, to the CEO businessman, to the pastor, to, it doesn't matter what, what area of life you live in, serve in your job, your work, everybody's allowed to sit at a table now and be a priest and put on a garment that tends to the heart of the Lord. And so our dream is, man, if our church is only 50 people, what would it be like to have 50 priests with, with robes of, of ministry to God on? And we all show up to church every weekend with that heart of, of, of church is not about me being fed and my empty cup being filled by my pastor. Actually, that's reserved for my secret place. And when you follow the scriptures, that's really reserved to the house to house ministry of discipleship. Um, but the, the gathering of the temple was these house to houses came together. That's what I love about what you guys do is your church is built on this house to house discipleship. And that's how practically we've done it as well as, is every day throughout the week, we have 30 homes in DFW that gather and, and the only requirement we have, if you're going to be a part of the church is you got to be plugged into a house church. And so what we say about our Sundays is the Sunday is the celebration where all the families come together, mm. but we're not coming together to, to be equipped and learn. Although we will, we're coming together to minister to God and, and to pour something on him. And that's really the commitment you have to make as leaders is we're saying no to the outer court. And we're saying, we're saying yes to the table inside the most holy place. And it doesn't mean we don't, we preach the cross, we preach all of the things, but but we make the aim, the goal is to get them to that table. And, uh, and not everybody likes that. And so you got to be willing to sacrifice money and numbers because I'm telling you, it's, it's not a lot of people that I've seen are like, a lot of people just want to get in and out. They want the, they don't want it to be sacrificial. They pick, and I am so sorry, I'm being so offensive, but they, you know, they pick the, the church that works best for their convenience that the child care, it's, it's not even children's church anymore. It's child care that the, that the child care has the coolest slides and we build everything in our life around our preferences. And we have forgotten that, that true offering and ministry to God, it has to be sacrificial. And so there's a huge cost involved, but I'm telling you it, it, I believe that this will relieve pastors from this idea that how do I make the people happy? No. How do we as a people make God happy? That that changes everything, you know. The sacrifice that's involved to really see God get what He desires in a city, it this is what's causing our our time in the prayer room. This is what's causing so much is that we get we war over, like what what should we be doing, God, to get more or to get the most out of something instead of like, wow, like we we were picked to live in this time with this group of people, like God put us together. And that if we would truly lock together, John 17, get our eyes on him, like something spectacular could happen over a region so good, and so forth. So I really do. I appreciate you sharing and unpacking that from the wisdom that you have thus far. I want to jump to a final question that I wanted to throw your way. We as a body have also been really focusing on 
the return of Christ. We've been really trying to get our hearts tethered to that reality. So it produces the fruit that the father, that the father deserves with us having our eyes on that. So when we're, when we're speaking about ministering to the Lord, do you, do you see an inseparable tie to the return of the Lord with the, the ministering to the Lord? And how do you see that tie? Oh, I, yeah. I mean, it, it's inseparable because it, um, it is the end game. It's revelation 21. We're going to hear a voice crying out that God and man are tabernacled together. And so uh, the foundation of, of everything that I'm sharing is, is comes from that December 17 voice I heard. Um, you haven't built a home with me. And so this was the cry of, of David in Psalms 132. He said, I, I won't give slumber to my eyelids rest to my own life until I find a place for God. Uh, and, and says, arise, O Lord, to your rest, you and the ark of your strength. And this was driven by a man that in 2 Samuel 6 and 7, he's like, I'm dwelling in my paneled house, living in comfort, but I want, I want a place for God. We got to get this ark here and we've got to surround it. And David on his own dime hires almost 10,000 people, surrounds them around the ark, throws it up in a tent, ministers to God day and night. And, uh, and he starts getting blueprints for this house he wants to build for the Lord on the earth. And you'll see this pattern throughout scripture, Exodus 25, build me a sanctuary in the midst of the people. Like he's not interested in, in dwelling in heaven and us being on earth forever. He actually wants to bring these two together. And so it's almost like, I want you to, what if, if in Revelation 4 and 5, myriads of angels and elders surround his throne singing day and night to him holy is is the lamb ministering to god it's like david got got this glimpse in first chronicles 13 first chronicles 15 second samuel 6 and 7 if we if they're doing that up there then we ought to do that down here and when we do that down here he will come and so you see him pass this heart to the next generation and uh, and I love this in Second Chronicles chapter five, Solomon has taken the reins, and he and and David took the blueprints. This desire of I want to build a place for God, where God is tended to, where ministry to God is first, and and he gives the blueprints. Next generation, Solomon builds this majestic temple that is unlike anything the earth has ever seen, and uh, and in Second Chronicles five. It says that everything was just right. The priests were ministering to God with one sound. And when they hit that one sound, it says a cloud came and they couldn't keep ministering because it was so heavy. They were all just laid out on the floor. And so you see this common theme in, in scripture. When we prepare a place for him, he comes. We prepare a place for him, he comes. I mean, you think about um, like... Acts chapter two, the, they're all 120 of them are in an upper room. They're singing, ministering to God in one accord, singing hymns unto the Lord. And not till they were in one accord, singing hymns unto the Lord, fire begins to descend. And so I believe that there is this reality of, um, and not to get too deep, but there's, you know, there's three main feasts in the in the old testament that were celebrated there, there's more feasts total but three where the whole nation would come and descend upon jerusalem passover pentecost and the feast of tabernacles we all know about passover 
and it's been fulfilled on the cross. You know, that he's the Passover lamb, Exodus chapter 12. Um, Exodus 19, scholars would say, is really the, the announcement of, of Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost when he came on the mountain, descended with fire, and and we've experienced that. Everyone knows Pentecost. It's, it's the Acts 2 upper room experience. But there's another feast that I don't hear a lot of people talk about that is still still to come called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was basically for seven days, they would set up booths all over the, the nation and they would dwell in them for seven days straight. And, and it was just a man and God. And the, the proclamation was, is God and man dwelling together on the earth. And it was, it, I mean, it, it proclaimed his protection of them in the wilderness, but it was prophesying through the Passover, through the coming of the Holy Spirit, ultimately God is going to tabernacle with man fully on the earth. This is Revelation 21 of the end game is heaven and earth are going to be together and we will have a dwelling place and God and man will live together. And it says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And he will have what he wanted from the days of getting the children of Israel out of the wilderness. This has always been in his heart is he just is longing for union. And, and so what I, what I love is, is like the concept of tabernacles is we are building a place for the Lord and you find the theme in scripture. Every time you build a place for God to dwell and you minister to him, it's in that moment that he comes. And so I absolutely believe it's in, it's impossible not to live this ministry to God and not see the return of the Lord. So my burning in my heart is if I can get enough, if we can get enough people to believe this and do this and live it, he will come. Yes. And and what if we could see it in our generation, you know? Maranatha. I'll tell you what. Yeah, so amen. with with everything that we talked about, would you do us the honors and just pray regarding everything we talked about, that we could grow in this together, that this dialogue would produce fruit in us all. But once again, so honored to have you with us, William. It's an and honor give, to be with you, man. Give your family our best for you, Carvin. Time out to be with us. And uh, and if you would just pray us out. Of course. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much for who you guys are and what you do. I, I just, I really do love you in your heart. When you talk, my heart gets warm. I don't know what it oh. is about you, but Holy Spirit, we love you. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're real. I pray for those listening that you would become more real to us today more real to us and lord i ask that you would enchant us away from all other lovers that like it says in the, the puritans make this statement that you would hide us in your wounds mm. and so lord i thank you that it all starts with intimacy with you that it all starts with this encounter in your presence that this isn't a formula this isn't uh, something we can say one plus one equals two but this is relationship and encounter with the God of the universe. The book of Joshua uh, chapter three tells us that, or I'm sorry, chapter 13 tells us that our ministry to God is our inheritance. So Lord, burn within us this reality that we can move you and we can tend to you, that you have need, that you have wants and desires that we can actually fulfill in your heart. So Lord, grip us with this unchain us from everything else and chain us to your heart 
And may we truly be able to say, we found the one in whom our soul loves. We held him and we won't let him go. And I thank you that the richest part of our life is walking with you, that you're the best part of every story. You're the joy of every journey. So God fully have us today. And I thank you that the key is intimacy. So we are drawn in to you in Jesus mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you again for being on, man. Of course. It was an honor. I love you, man.